Chapter 4, Vietnam, The Advisory Years to 1965, by Robert Futrell and Martin Blumenson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kat Din in Osaka, Japan. Chapter 4, U.S. Command Problems in the Pacific, Emphasis on Southeast Asia. Authorities in Washington had closely managed the assistance to France during the Indochina War, but U.S. commanders in the Pacific exercised increasing influence afterward. They looked to American military interests on a divided basis. The Far East and United Nations commands existed on the one hand and the Pacific Command on the other. Because of budgetary constraints, the latter had no Air Force theater headquarters or tactical units. All USAF resources were assigned to Far East Air Forces, headquartered in Tokyo. Under FEAF were 5th Air Force and 315th Air Division, combat cargo, in Japan, and 13th Air Force in the Philippines. After March 26, 1954, Admiral Stump, Commander-in-Chief, Pacific Command, became responsible for reviewing all military assistance programs in this area, which took in Southeast Asia. Since Stump found it hard to manage without an air headquarters, the Joint Chiefs on March 31st directed General Twining to create a command at Hickam AFB, Hawaii. Hence, Pacific Air Force, PAF, came into being under Major General Sori Smith on the 1st of July. While Smith reported directly to Admiral Stump, he likewise answered to General Partridge, FEAF commander. This reflected an understanding that all USAF tactical air units in the Pacific and Far East would be assigned to FEAF in the interest of command unity throughout both theaters. Stump, who was described as exceedingly if not unduly sensitive on the subject of command prerogatives, found it vexing, and understandably so, that FEAF should have a say in Singpak's area of responsibility. Yet General Partridge considered that a common USAF policy for the Pacific and Far East areas required him to be abreast of events in both places. He directed the Far East Air Logistics Force to have the 6,410th Material Group support all air components in Southeast Asia. In February 1955, when General Partridge held a conference of air attaches and MAAG air representatives from all nations in Southeast Asia to discuss problems and programs, Admiral Stump reminded him of SINCPAC's primary responsibility for that area. Stump wanted General Smith to help promote projects consistent with U.S. military and political objectives in the Pacific Command. Placing 13th Air Force under PAF on June 1st facilitated his wish. Under revised directives issued by Defense Secretary Wilson in July, Admiral Stump gained more authority in carrying out the Mutual Defense Assistance Program. United commanders like him were to be in the direct line of command over the MAAGs in their areas. Thus, Army, Navy, and Air Force personnel assigned to MAAGs were no longer allocated to SINCPAC, but rather placed under his direct command. Stump, therefore, integrated the control of assistance programs in his headquarters. Only on technical matters did he allow MAAG chiefs to communicate directly with their military departments, their component commanders, and other service agencies. As for Stump's component Army, Navy, and Air Force commanders, they were limited to advising SINCPAC. The Air Force's centralization of global logistics under the Air Material Command further diluted FEAF influence over assistance concerns. General Partridge insisted on controlling his logistics, 
but General Lawrence S. Couture, who replaced him on June 4, 1955, accepted the new concept in the interest of economy and efficiency. Transferred to Air Material Command on October 1, 1955, Far East Air Logistics Force was redesignated Air Material Force Pacific Area. Under this organization, the Northern Air Material Area Pacific handled support and technical assistance for Japan and Korea. The Southern Air Material Area Pacific at Clark Air Base similarly served Okinawa, Taiwan, the Philippines, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, Guam, and Vietnam. MAAG Air personnel now went straight to these material commands with their logistics problems, without need to go through their theater air command. In November 1955, Far East Air Force Headquarters invited MAAG Air representatives to a conference in Tokyo. Again, SINCPEC objected that FEAF had no right to indoctrinate air sections with its philosophy and concepts. The inspection team dispatched by General Smith to Southeast Asia in November-December 1955 reported that the Army appeared to be dominating the MAAGs. To some extent, no doubt, this was in response to the desire of individual countries. Still, most MAAG chiefs, deputy chiefs, and chiefs of staff were army officers. In Vietnam, the MAAG air section people were described as being relegated to a minor role and treated as junior partners, without access to current war plans and unable to coordinate or consult with MAAG air sections in neighboring countries. There was a deplorable lack of definite relationship between the indigenous air forces supported by mutual defense assistance programs and the overall strategic objective of the United States. After remarking on the close association between the Japanese and Korean Air Forces and 5th Air Force, General Kuter urged 13th Air Force, now under PAF, to foster similar rapport with indigenous air forces in Southeast Asia. In February 17, 1956, Smith charged 13th Air Force with monitoring and reviewing assistance programs in Southeast Asia so that national air forces were developed in line with U.S. strategic aims. Austerely manned, 13th Air Force headquarters needed 28 more manpower spaces to perform the additional task. These slots were not to be had because the entire Air Force was trying to build to an authorized 137 wings without increasing personnel. Cooter and Smith conferred in April 1956 on how to improve the review and monitoring of assistance activities. In May and November, Air Material Force Pacific Area sponsored conferences of MAAG air representatives to the same end. Air commanders were disturbed by Admiral Stump's reliance on subordinate command organizations for local operations. As a matter of principle, USAF leaders advocated centralized direction and control of air operations in the Pacific and Far East areas. Local control of tactical air units would restrict their operations to arbitrary and often meaningless geographic boundaries. Furthermore, air units would go under operational control of a commander who had little or no experience in training, equipping, and operating them. General Smith therefore protested the assignment of tactical air units to a subordinate unified command. It would, he said, partition air power to defend local pieces of scattered real estate. Smith, as Stump's theater air commander, should manage all air operations in Pacific Command in order to use the available units most effectively, regardless of their locations. Stump pointed out that his area was too vast for overall direction of local operations from Hawaii. 
The division of command responsibilities between component commanders, he said, had led to disaster at Pearl Harbor in 1941, and he preferred a single commander responsible in each operational area for all military operations there. Kutcher called the potential commitment of USAF squadrons to local defenses in Vietnam and elsewhere in Southeast Asia a further emasculation of air power. When President Eisenhower, the National Security Council, and the Joint Chiefs directed SyncPAC in July 1956 to prepare a contingency plan for defending South Vietnam against overt external attack, Admiral Stump thought in terms of setting up a U.S.-Vietnam Defense Command. The commander was to receive from 5th Air Force the operational control of earmarked air defense and supporting forces, and from PAF, a senior Air Force officer as the air component commander, plus staff personnel. The Joint Chiefs accepted this proposal. While the prospective proliferation of subordinate unified commands threatened the unity of air power, other developments changed the picture. The consolidation of the United Nations, Far East, and Pacific commands had come under study in the spring of 1955, after Secretary of Defense Wilson objected to the worldwide command structure that he deemed too large, unwieldy, and expensive. He wanted the system simplified and reduced, and the Joint Chiefs asked commanders for comments. General Couture recommended a single U.S. unified command in the Pacific. The Joint Chiefs agreed early in 1956, and Secretary Wilson approved discontinuing the Far East Command, FEC, in favor of the Pacific Command, which was to be the single unified command in the Pacific and Far East areas. Headquarters Pacific Air Force then became PACAF slash FEAF rear on July 1st, which foreshadowed another change, and the headquarters in Japan moved to Hawaii. General Kutcher suggested in August that the Pacific Command have three principal component commands, namely U.S. Army Pacific, U.S. Navy Pacific, and U.S. Air Force Pacific, and four subordinate joint commands, Hawaiian, Southern Pacific, Northern Pacific, and Marianas Bonin. All forces allocated to SyncPAC, Kutcher thought, should be assigned to the principal component commanders for operational control in peace and in war. The subordinate joint commands should have no combat responsibilities, but rather should support ambassadors and MAAGs, coordinate administrative and logistic activities, and perform other non-combat obligations in their areas. In a local war, a SYNCPAC designated task force commander selected from the military service predominantly involved would assume operational control of joint task forces. During local engagements, the commander-in-chief, Air Force Pacific, should have complete responsibility for air defense throughout the entire Pacific. In October, Admiral Stump and Army General Lyman L. Lemnitzer, FEC Commander-in-Chief, recommended three component commands, Pacific Fleet, Pacific Air Forces, and Army Pacific, each to administer, train, support, and operate allocated forces. Stump and Lemnitzer wished to retain existing subordinate unified commands and to establish two additional commands in the Northwest Pacific. The plan failed to meet Secretary Wilson's demand for economy. It was reworked in Washington and resubmitted to the Secretary in December. Reorganization, as approved early in 1957, made the Pacific Command the single unified command directly responsible to the Joint Chiefs of Staff with the Navy serving as executive agent. Under SYNCPAC were three major component commands, United States Army Pacific, USARPAC, United States Pacific Fleet, PACFLT, and Pacific Air Forces, PACAF, 
each headed by a commander-in-chief. According to SYNCPAC instructions, PACFLT and PACAF were to perform air tasks on a mutually supporting basis. Only three subordinate unified commands remained. The commander 5th Air Force assumed responsibility as commander United States Forces, Japan, and received a joint staff, but had no unified operational responsibilities. The commanding general, 8th Army, headed United States Forces in Korea and also served as commander-in-chief United States Command. The Taiwan Defense Command continued unchanged. In the Philippines, Ryukyu's, and Marianas Bonin, SINCPAC representatives coordinated matters. In countries where no U.S. operating forces were located, the MAAG's chief was the SINCPAC representative. All MAAGs were directly responsible to SINCPAC. On the 1st of June, General Kuter opened his headquarters Pacific Air Forces at Hickam AFB, consolidating for the first time USAF tactical forces in the Pacific and Far East areas under a single commander. Unity of command of all theater air power was nonetheless missing. Not only did PACAF and PACFLT have to cooperate on air tasks, but Admiral Stump, not Kuter, had the responsibility to develop indigenous air forces. Kuter could just advise Stump whether assistance programs squared with the U.S. policies and objectives. In Kuter's view, indigenous air forces in Southeast Asia were hardly being helped to grow in harmony with USAF objectives. That is, the forces were not prepared to cope with internal subversion, to give limited defense against overt external aggression, and, perhaps most important, to offer suitable bases for U.S. air units that might be committed operationally. National air forces were being equipped with slow conventional aircraft for combating insurgency. Air facilities that USAF jet aircraft could use in time of emergency were generally lacking. Cooter instructed the commanders of the 5th and 13th Air Forces in August 1957 to act as rallying points for informal discussion with indigenous air leaders. In November, he invited air attaches and MAAG air representatives to a conference in Hawaii and urged them to work together to create a common purpose in the packets of democratic air power forming in Southeast Asia. Improving air facilities ranked high on his agenda. Planning for the possible deployment of U.S. forces during the early months of 1958, the Commander-in-Chief Pacific Air Forces conceived of the Mobile Strike Force. It would depart its home base within 24 hours after receiving an execution order and engage in 15 days of self-supporting combat in Southeast Asia. Since General Kuter wanted 13th Air Force to have a dominant role in the Southeast Asian air activities, he charged Major General Thomas S. Moorman, who became 13th's commander on March 4th, to take command of the PACAF Mobile Strike Force when it deployed through Clark Air Base. The force included three troop carrier squadrons and one combat airlift support unit from the 315th Air Division Combat Cargo, a fighter squadron, a bomber squadron, a reconnaissance task unit with photo processing cells, and half of an air refueling squadron from 5th Air Force, one fighter squadron from 13th Air Force, and a search and rescue detachment from the 31st Air Rescue Squadron of Air Rescue Service Pacific. Clark Air Base was to furnish logistics support and 13th Air Force was empowered to draw on PACAF resources to establish detachments at forward air bases. Because commitment of this mobile strike force would reduce the general war deterrent elsewhere, 
Tactical Air Command, TAC, began to alert in the United States a composite air strike force for rapid global deployment, mainly to back up an immediate response by PACAF to aggression. During April 1958, the PACAF mobile strike force concept was tested in the SEATO exercise in Thailand against a simulated land aggressor force. For the first time in a CETO exercise, nuclear weapons were inserted into the scenario. One observer, Lieutenant General Frederick H. Smith, Jr., 5th Air Force commander, believed it vital to interdict an enemy land force by air. Upon returning to Japan, he directed a staff study on the use of nuclear weapons if the Chinese invaded Southeast Asia. In contrast, Sinkpec regarded forward defense in the Pacific as resting upon the twin pillars of strong mobile U.S. forces and of allied ones strengthened by American military assistance programs. The Department of Defense Reorganization Act of 1958 markedly broadened Sinkpec's authority as a unified commander, Army, Navy, and Air Force units previously allocated to him were now under his full operational command. The roles of the military departments and of the component commanders were confined to the administration and support of Army, Navy, or Air Force units assigned to the unified commanders. A new SINCPAC, Admiral Harry D. Felt, an experienced naval aviator whose exceptionally long tenure was to last from July 31, 1958, through June 1964, would exercise operational command through his component commanders or through the commanders of subordinate unified commands. Responsible for the immense area of the Pacific and its islands, excluding the Aleutians and the Bering Sea, but including Japan, Korea, Southeast Asia, and the eastern part of the Indian Ocean, Admiral Felt, as Sinkpak, was comparable to a theater commander in World War II. All the U.S. armed forces in that region were under him, and Vietnam was one of his obligations. Headquartered at Pearl Harbor, he also had at Hawaii the major subordinate commands of USARPAC, PACFLT, and PACAF, each headed by a component commander. Logistic and support forces, subordinate unified or tri-service commanders, area representatives, and military assistance advisory groups like the one in Vietnam were also under him. His mission was to defend the United States against attack and to support and advance United States policy and interests in the Pacific Command area. An advocate of the Twin Pillar strategy, Admiral Felt perceived the separation between U.S. strategic planning and military assistance programs. The remedy involved, on the one hand, completing a SINCPAC contingency concept for Southeast Asia as a whole, and, on the other hand, relating each country program to the entire strategy. A joint U.S. task force, he believed, should respond to aggression in Southeast Asia. He accordingly arranged for Marine forces on Okinawa to become the nucleus of a permanent SINCPAC joint task force, JTF-116. Since Marines would be airlifted to meet an emergency, the initial commander of this force was to be a Marine officer. When Army reinforcements arrived by air and sea, command was to pass to an Army officer. PACAF designated the 13th Air Force commander to head the air component of JTF-116 in order to establish his authority over affairs in Southeast Asia. During the autumn of 1958, Admiral Felt began to show the MAAGs how to relate their programs to regional as well as to country needs. PACAF's major task was to build air facilities in an air operating environment in Southeast Asia. General Couture and Lieutenant General William F. McKee, 
Vice Commander of Air Material Command, felt that aviation projects of the Military Assistance Program, MAP, and of the International Cooperation Administration, Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, were oriented to individual countries. They saw no reason why these projects could not be loosely connected to regional defense as a whole. Better relations between PACAF and MAAG air personnel, they believed, would ensure that petroleum, oil, and lubricants, POL, ammunition, ground-to-air communications, fire trucks, refueling vehicles, and other essentials would be in place. Maintained by indigenous air forces, these services would be available for USAF use if necessary. In June 1959, the MAAGs received from SYNCPAC the first of a series of lists setting forth the priorities for accomplishing projects of this nature. But coordination between SYNCPAC contingency planning against an overt aggression and individual country assistance programs continued to be inadequate. For example, the latter were not designed or funded to build facilities that could be used by USAF units. These projects were the responsibility of the Department of Defense. The Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Affairs, which reviewed assistance programs, was often compelled to delete projects for indigenous military forces in Southeast Asia that could not be justified according to the law. The MAAGs also hesitated to recommend projects warranted only by U.S. interest. In Laos, for instance, it was extremely difficult to explain why you need an 8,000-foot heavy-duty runway, flat concrete, and sweepers to go with it in a country that uses goonie birds. Another set of programs sprang from the Army orientation of the MAAGs. For example, aviation equipment obtainable through military assistance programs were relatively high-priced and competed with projects desired by the Army. After visiting Pacific areas in 1959, Major General Donald R. Hutchinson, USAF Assistant for Mutual Security, found that Army officers held 15 of 23 worldwide MAAG chief positions. This, he suggested, resulted in unbalanced recommendations from the field. The Air Force sought a more equitable manning ratio, but it would take several years to bring about changes. Despite these difficulties, General White, who had replaced General Twining as Chief of Staff, wished PACAF to exert a strong influence on air matters throughout the Pacific to include assistance programs. Soon after General Emmett O'Donnell became Commander-in-Chief PACAF on August 1, 1959, MAAG air representatives were allowed to deal directly with the Air Material Force Pacific Area. Amendments to USAF manuals in September and November of 1959 permitted PACAF to administer contracted technical services for the military assistance program. In February 1960, a change in a USAF regulation directed all communications on air logistic matters to be routed through PACAF, and a revision of a DOD directive on military assistance instructed unified commanders to draw upon the advice of component commanders. What this meant, White reminded O'Donnell on March 25th, was O'Donnell's growing role in the air aspects of military assistance. To an increasing degree, White wrote, the capability of MAP air forces must be oriented toward complementing the USAF war effort, and your active participation in MAP planning toward that end is urged. By spring of 1960, General O'Donnell had gained some informal influence in military assistance matters, but no more than advisory authority. His advice was not regularly sought after, nor was it always accepted when volunteered. Essentially, 
PACAF could have little impact on military assistance programs because it had no official part in starting, programming, and carrying out country projects. Through communications to the MAAG air sections, which were authorized to give technical support, PACAF views could be inserted into assistance deliberations. All proposals, however, required MAAG chief approval before submission to SYNCPAC. The PACAF commander-in-chief as advisor could submit assistance proposals direct to SYNCPAC, but these were invariably referred to the MAAG chief for comment. Though Air Force headquarters looked to O'Donnell for information on military assistance programs, he was outside the relevant command channel. A case in point was the construction programs handled for SYNCPAC by the Navy's Bureau of Pacific Docks. Responsible Air Force officers in the field found it hard to get specific facts about the exact status of these projects. As matters stood in 1960, the Southeast Asia Mutual Defense Assistant Program activities in progress since 1954 had failed to fulfill emerging requirements for internal country defense or for cooperative regional defense. On the whole, little stress had been given to developing indigenous air capabilities despite the rather large allocation of efforts, funds, and manpower to indigenous ground forces. The country air forces in Southeast Asia remained small, and lacked sufficient personnel with basic skills to achieve rapid expansion. None had well-organized systems for operations and training, supply and maintenance, intelligence and communications electronics, or civil engineering. But organizational arrangements were in the process of change. End of Chapter 4 Recording by Kat Din in Osaka, Japan